What is up, everybody, and welcome to Tailgate Talks. This is week 97. You're listening to episode 141, and we've got a good one for you guys. We're going to be breaking down the second half of Texas Tech's football schedule, as well as a tweet that was sent out about Coach Tadlock. So I uh, can't wait to get into all that, but first, make sure you are following the Tailgate on Apple and Spotify. Rate the tailgate on Apple and Spotify, and if you listen to us on Apple, hit us with that review. Also, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at tailgate underscore talks. It's where we do most of our interacting, so make sure you follow us there. If you want to follow our personal accounts, follow Dustin at DustinWimmer22. You can follow myself at Calvin B. Barrett. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as well as YouTube. Go follow our YouTube channel where we're posting videos weekly. Uh, We have been coming up with some good videos for you guys lately, so make sure you subscribe to that channel to catch everything we're putting out. It's usually little small clips from the show, so if you don't have time to catch the full episode on Apple or Spotify, you can catch little bits of it uh, there for you. Uh, Also, if you have any comments questions or anything to add to the tailgate email us at tailgate talks pod at gmail.com so with all of that said let's get into this week's tailgate we're gonna start this thing off right Well, last week we broke down the first half of Texas Tech's uh, football schedule. We went through some of the important games like Houston, NC State, Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. The start of the season, uh, pretty difficult. Uh, We also gave our best case, worst case scenarios in that. Uh, So this week we will be concluding that by breaking down the second half of the schedule, giving our worst case, best case scenarios for the second half which kind of wraps up our whole entire season, best case, worst case scenario. So to kick that off, we're going to send it over to Dustin, who's going to be breaking down uh, West Virginia for us, who we play at home on October 22nd. Yeah, home game here, West Virginia. They were a 500 mediocre team similar to us last year. We beat them 23-20 to 20 last year. They went 6-7 and seven overall um, for this year. Uh, first off, for us, we're coming off a bye before that game. Um, I always like to look yeah. at schedules, whether it be uh, NFL or college. Bye week comes perfectly, six games and six games. So that's a great time just in the middle of the season for you. And then – Especially after that gauntlet that we're talking gauntlet about. Gauntlet of the last first week six games just, and especially the five-game yeah. stretch off of that. And then – by week to get yourself resituated, reassess some things, do some self scout, all that good stuff. But the game after bye week should be a win. Like you should be able to pencil that in for a win almost every year. Like that's a very good expectation, and from a lot, a lot of teams around the country, that's nothing crazy to think about. Um, so yeah, West Virginia when it's coming home. in, got a home game after the bye. Yeah, that, even that makes it even better. Um, so a little bit about West Virginia. They have a very familiar addition to the coaching staff. Offensive coordinator Graham Harrell, former Texas Tech. I've heard of that. Yeah, former Texas Tech great quarterback through 
2006, 7, 8, through those great, great teams, uh, him and Crabtree. And then he was the offense coordinator at USC uh, most recently. And so with their whole shift in their coaching staff, you know, he's over at West Virginia now. Um, should be able to very much help their offense. Um, their offense was very stagnant, I'd say, last year, even though they had a really good run game. <laughs> they also brought in a great quarterback transfer, USC slash Georgia quarterback transfer, JT Daniels. So he had some injury stuff that set him back at um, USC. And that's kind of why he fell back there and then transferred to Georgia. Um, and they went on that incredible run last year. He barely saw the field a little bit, but he's a really good talent to bring in for them. Um, so that combination of JT Daniels, Graham Harrell should raise the level of their offense just by bringing in two really skilled guys at what they do. Um, right. But like I said, their great running back, Letty Brown, he's gone. They relied a lot on him last year. So is their top receiver, Winston Wright. Um, but they returned some good guys. Um, offensive line returns two good starters. Their center, Zach Frazier, is preseason first team, all Big 12. So that's nothing to look past. Um, their defense, not the best. <laughs> uh, right. They have a revolving door with a ton of transfers on that defense. They're going to rely on their D-line as their strength. The The back half of that is not as well. Um, and they're, they're stud. They have three good returners on that D-line, and they're stud. Dante Stills is a first-teamer. So is their cornerback, Charles Woods. Um Outside of those two guys and a couple other on the D-line, there's a huge revolving door of transfers that are coming in through them. Uh, so a lot of moving parts for West Virginia this year. It's also Neil Brown's fourth year, and he's been just yeah. a smidge under 500 in his three years, so pretty underwhelming. Um, I don't have a, a thumb on the, the fan base there, but I, I would think they're not satisfied with – his three years so far. Um, and so I wouldn't say this is a, he's on the hot seat year, but this could get him closer to that hot seat. If they have another six and seven type 500 year, just like they went through. Um, so a lot of changes bringing in new, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator. Um, still got a couple really good starters that are sticking around, but I don't see them really changing that much. This is another, 50-50 game if we're playing this on a regular week. Now that we're playing this at home off a of bye week, I would give us right. a little bit of advantage, maybe 60-40 there. And hopefully by then you have a lot of stuff figured out with your changing pieces and offense coordinator as well. Yeah, I, I feel like this is kind of make it or make or break for Neil Brown there. Like it's been a, it's been maybe, a rough start. Uh, one of the things that Gamla Gauchos likes to point out, which I agree with, he went 0-3 against Matt Wells. <laughs> That's not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I don't know if they have one, of, like you said, another mediocre year, which I'm kind of expecting them to do. Uh, I don't really know how much they're going to want to keep him around for another year if they don't get any improvement. So yeah, uh, they're an interesting team to watch this season for sure. Um, especially with the changing of the big 12 coming up, like if they want to make a move, like they're probably going to have to soon. So 
Uh, moving yeah, on, our yeah. next opponent, we follow that up with another home game as Baylor comes to town. It'll be the second time in the last few years that Baylor comes back to the 806. Uh, they haven't won in Lubbock in 32 years. Uh, so that is a key stat. Of course, that includes that time period where we played them in Dallas. <laughs> but still, in 10 years, still, didn't play uh, home, home. I have been alive for only 31 years. So uh, Baylor has never won in Lubbock in the time that I've walked this earth. Uh, they come in after a 12-2 and season last year. Big 12 champions, of course, beat Oklahoma State in the championship game. Yep. Uh, they beat us last year 27-24. If you remember, Garibay missed the game-tying field goal from uh, 50-plus yards at the very end there, gave Baylor the win, but we played them pretty well, uh, made a nice little comeback and, and put a little scare into Baylor. Uh, this year, they, you know, they lost their top passer, Jerry Bohannon. He left the program. He transferred. Uh, Blake Shapin, who's the guy who kind of came on at the very end of the season for them, uh, was the quarterback at the end that beat us, beat Oklahoma State, and then won them the Sugar Bowl. Uh, he takes over at quarterback this year. He's a very accurate passer. Uh, he can also run the ball very well, so he's kind of that dual threat quarterback. Uh, their top two RBs uh, from last year turned pro. Uh, so they're going to be missing out on some much-needed uh, production that they had last year. So they'll have a guy named Craig Williams who kind of gets his shot at the starting running back uh, running back role for them. Also, their top three wide receivers turned pro. <laughs> so uh, lots of production that they had on the offensive side of the ball leaving, but they're fully expecting to replace that with people who they expect to produce. One of those guys, Gavin Holmes, he was like their third leading receiver two years ago, but missed last year due to injury. So he comes back and kind of expects to be that number one role at receiver for them. Offensive line, they should be fine. Uh, they were really good at pass protection last season, and they bring back a lot of experience on their offensive line as well. So uh, they look to, you know, kind of keep that uh, strength up front there. Defensively, of course, they got Aranda, who is a defensive guru. Uh, before he was a head coach, he was the defensive coordinator. And so while losing a lot of defenders, they lose four key secondary defenders. Uh, they're, they expect the same results. You know, he's kind of that plug and replace. They're going to have a pretty solid defense, even with those departures. Uh, but their defensive front is where they're going to heavily rely on. They have a really good pass rusher. And Gabe Hall, who's going to cause problems. And then their linebacking core, uh, led by Dylan Doyle, is going to be really strong for them as well. Uh, so I don't expect much of a drop-off for them on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Aranda and how he recruits and what he's already seemingly built there. Uh, I expect them to be pretty tough on that side of the ball. So kind of just a synopsis, you know, they're looking for better play from their offense this year. Um, they got pretty consistent play from their defense, but their offense kind of lacked, especially in some of the games that they lost. They just weren't able to really produce. Uh, defensively, they have 44 takeaways in Aranda's two seasons there as defensive coordinator. So uh, they're looking to continue to be really stellar at forcing teams to turn the ball over. Uh, I expect that probably to be consistent with the last couple of years. Um, and then they this year, the difference, I think, 
and why I do not ultimately believe that they'll be competing for a Big 12 championship this season is that their road schedule is super difficult. They come here, of course, but they also have OU, Texas, Iowa State, and West Virginia all on the road. So that 12-2 and two for them last year wow. was relied heavily on having a lot of those games in Waco this year. They do not have that favor. So uh, that's kind of my synopsis on Baylor. You have anything to add on the Bears, Dustin? Yeah, you got to think we took a big part of their coaching staff this year and mm-hmm. Joey McGuire, his his return game playing against Baylor. That'll be a fun one um, for him. Probably a little emotional, but he's he'll be locked in and maybe we yeah. can get a little insight on that defense that they have and kind of yeah. break a little bit. I mean, we played them really well last year. I mean, lost 27-24. Let's play a team Beat like them that. the year before. What's that? And the year before. Yeah, yeah. Like to play a team yeah. in Baylor that's been very consistently good, um, that close is pretty impressive. Um, so maybe with their offensive, you know, revolving door and changes in production, that and our coaching insight, maybe we can get a leg up on them and, and take one to them this time. Yeah, I was so focused on Baylor, I just kind of forgot all, all about like because Joey McGuire he's already felt like he's been here for forever so something uh, I know but, and he, the, the pictures of him in Baylor green yeah. just don't look right no. he looks really good in, in red yeah it looks like <laughs> he was born to be here um but yeah that that'll sure. be a, obviously a key loss for them and and should provide you some help like he's familiar with Aranda he knows the kind of defense that he's going to yeah. want to run uh he knows that offense as well so uh, that could be a real key for us. And that, that game's in Lubbock. And so that's a good chance for you to possibly get an upset victory at home over a team that does have Big 12 title aspirations. Now, in the past 10-ish years, though, we have not been good at home. We don't have a good record at home against yes. other good, and especially teams that are ranked better than us teams like so that does factor in like our home field advantage hasn't been the best lately um so hopefully with this team and coaching staff and you know mindset turnaround maybe this is one of those games we can maybe get back on that upset track right we used to be everybody always would say you you know we get upsets in the jones you can't say that anymore because cliff kind of ruined that we we didn't ever beat anybody worthy of that you know title uh, it's been a really long yeah. time. Wells was able to pull off like a couple wins that were a little surprising, but ultimately uh, nothing that ever really got you really going. So this would be a huge victory if we were able to pull that off, which turns it into what will now be a really huge game because of the cactus, because of things that were said uh, by a TCU recruiting coach. We make the trip out to Fort Worth to take on TCU on November 5th. So Dustin, Tell us everything we need to know about TCU as a, a matchup that we are all really looking forward to this season. Yeah, at TCU November 5th, the desert game, the cactus game. There's going to be plenty of hashtags and more t-shirts made, I'm sure. Um, yep. That game's going to be very hyped up. A lot of bulletin board material already. The tech Twitterverse will be very lit that week. I can't wait <laughs> for that. <laughs> Uh, so especially if we're coming off an upset Baylor win and have like a winning record going into that, even more momentum. Like, so that'll be fun to look forward to. What was not fun to look at was uh, the highlights from last year's game. 
you know, TCU went five and seven and three and six in the conference, but then they came to Lubbock and what ran all over you, beat you yep. by 21 points, 52-31. Um, best part of that game was we had our tailgate for that game. So that was the most fun of that whole day and evening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So looking forward to, and I think our boys uh, rambling are going to have one in Fort Worth for that or somewhere um, going on yeah. for that. So at least we're going to have some tailgates going on for TCU game. You can rely on that from us. Um, so going to this year, 2022 TCU, they got some coaching changes going on long mm-hmm. time. Staple Gary Patterson has left. They had an agreement last year to kind of part ways. Um, he already has a statue out in front of the stadium, like while he was still coaching. Uh, so he's gone. He's actually the defensive coach something for Texas, which is weird to see uh, down there. Uh, they bring in yep. Coach Sonny Dykes, which we are familiar with, son of Spike Dykes, legendary Texas Tech coach. You might remember his name from – about 10 years ago when we were doing the cliff hiring, he was involved in that because yep. he was one of the candidates, he ended up going to Cal. Um, wasn't very successful at Cal, but, and really if you look at his coaching the last few years, they haven't been great. Like he had a little flash with SMU, but even at SMU with their success, they never finished higher than third in their conference. You know, UCF and Cincinnati always, and even I, I think Memphis here and there um, kind of always ended up beating them out. So they were good and had flashes. Um, I think last year SMU just had a really, really good offense. So that kind of projected him up and is easy for them to, you know, just bring him across DFW for a hire. Um, he's a great Texas football coach. So he knows the area and all that. Um, they're bringing a lot back. Um, they have, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their top four wide receivers are back. Mm. So that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and Max Duggan, who was there last year. So he's still there. God, he's another guy weapons. who I'm like, how long has this dude been at TCU? It's been Yeah, I mean, he hasn't put up big numbers there. But I think just because of their – they're going to have guys staying around, like top four wide receivers. They have a number one guy in Quentin Johnson that's going to be there still. Um, and their strength is still the run game. So it's like they don't ask him to do a ton. They were averaging almost 200 rushing yards a game last year. I mean, we saw that firsthand. They had a guy go for almost 150 and a guy go for like 180 on us last year. That guy that went for like 147, he's still there. So he's going to be the lead back. So we got to tackle this year. That was the infamous Tech game that we ran a three front the whole game and Wells couldn't count and thought we were running four. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god that just popped yeah. back in my head um yeah, strength field run watched, game like i watched a lot of all our defensive possessions and every single time three man front <sighs> yeah you made a whole video of it and you're like three front three front three front so strength still the run game they had a ton of weapons though so they might be able to open it up a little better especially with coach dykes and their offense being a little more electric um but they need better d-line production that's where they struggled last year and D-line affects everything. They weren't big in, on sacks. And then, obviously, the back end gets torched because your quarterbacks have time to throw. But they do have one first-teamer in Travius Hodges Tomlinson at cornerback. Like so, yeah, he's he's the guy to watch on defense there. But a lot of their people are that new coaching staff and offensive guys. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. This will be big. I mean, we haven't beat them in a while. Um, and so – 
you know, having the chance right. to beat them on their home field, which will be heavily dominated by Texas Tech fans uh, for that. Uh, being oh, yeah. able to tailgate and all that stuff for that game, it'll be really fun. I uh, really hope that we can go in there and still a victory from TCU. Interested in how they're and how Sonny's going to do in his first season at TCU. Sure. Um, and, you know, kind of for me, this is one of our new potential rivalries to really build on here over the next few years as the yeah. new Big 12 gets set uh, here in the future. So uh, moving on from that, we then take on Kansas, uh, the Jayhawks. Come Woo! to town last season. Of course, they went two and ten with that key victory over the University of Texas. There, uh, that will be remembered for forever. Uh, hang a banner. <laughs> hang a banner for it. Nobody, everybody loved watching Texas lose that game. Uh, they did lose to Texas Tech last year. We were able to, you know, go in and handle Kansas, being them forty-one to fourteen. Pretty easy victory for us there. Uh, so, you know, obviously when you win two games, doesn't mean you're very good on any part of the ball last year. Their offense was last in the Big 12 uh, last season, but they do return nine starters. So they do have some playmakers to kind of build off who have Division One Big 12 experience. I don't know how much that means considering they only won two games for you last year, but it is something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jalen Daniels, their quarterback, who looks to take over the lead role for them. He's the guy. Who, he's solid. He's solid. He came on for them at the end. He was the quarterback who beat Texas, uh, kind of gave them some life at the end of the last season. Uh, so he'll be the starting guy. I think the two backup quarterbacks both transferred out. So it's really kind of him uh, leading that show. Uh, they also have a really good running back, uh, Devin Neal, who is going to be one of the best running backs in the conference uh, he'll be backing them up there. So they'll have a good potential with uh, both of those guys uh, in the backfield there. So it's something to, you know, kind of be positive about for sure. Kansas fans. Uh, their leading receiver is gone from last year, but they do have three returning receivers who did see a lot of time as well. Uh, their pass protection was a big problem. Uh, and so was their ground game. <laughs> Uh, when you're last in offense, that <laughs> means kind of that that's going to happen. But they do have four starters on that offensive line returning. So once again, it's like, all right, they have experiences that actually help them or these guys just not very good. Uh, that will <laughs> kind of be figured out this season. Defense was also not very good for them last year. They were second worst. <laughs> Don't say. They were second worst, not just in the Big 12, but in all of college football, in tackles for loss, in scoring defense, and in third down conversion defense, second to Jeez. last in all of those categories. That's not very good. So what did they do this year? They turned to the transfer portal to try to get some help. Nobody's super notable. Nobody from really, um, there was a guy from Purdue transferred in, but nobody else from like a major program uh, really coming in of note. But, you know, some guys who have played college football at some of the lower programs, non-Power 5 programs, but uh, they're bringing those guys in because they need to be able to stop the run uh, on defense and, and help their offense out a little bit and give them a chance to maybe do something. So, you know, for a team coming in with two wins, they do have a little bit of hope. Uh, looks like Lance Leipold is a solid head coach. There's a lot of people who do believe in him, not just in Jayhawk land, but kind mm -hmm. of around the conference. He's been successful everywhere he's gone. 
Um, that that win against Texas did, you know, give them some reason to believe coming into this year. So for them, you know, that it really just can they get over those two wins? Can they get more than that? Can they get more than one win in conference play this season? Uh, can they handle their non-conference play? Uh, but really, this should be a walk in the park game for you at home. Uh, Kansas really shouldn't scare anybody this season, but. You know, they have something to build on. They have a guy at quarterback who they can possibly maybe steal some games uh, this year and be a little bit better than uh, the program that they have been the last few years. So uh, that's uh, all my notes on the Kansas Jayhawks. Do you just want to move on to the Cyclones, Dustin? Well, one little note, just something I looked up because I have the preseason all or all Big 12 list. Yeah, Kansas has a guy on there, and we do not. Yeah. They have a defensive back, Kenny Logan, on there, and just noted that Texas Tech has zero, but we'll have that changed by the end of the year. Don't worry. Yeah, I never give a shit about preseason anything, <laughs> like, cool. There's guys to watch for, yeah, though. Yeah, But the fact that they got one, I'm like, okay. <laughs> so next up, we got the Cyclones. We travel to Iowa State on November 19th. Ooh. Dustin, take it away. All right. At Iowa State, Matt Campbell in his seventh year turned that program around big time. They had a disappointing 2021. They were going into it with very high expectations. Yeah, they they pretty much flopped on it. They ended up seven and six, five and four in conference. They were hoping for more like Big 12 title type games. You know, they had Brock Purdy and Brees Hall and the two massive tight ends. All those guys are gone. Yep. They have a big offensive production overall. But even with all those guys on that team, offense was their problem last year. They were the ninth overall defense, and their offense was just inconsistent, especially on third down, and couldn't be productive. Um, So back to last year, though, real quick. Uh, They went seven and six, lost five of those six in one possession games. So they weren't getting the boots kicked off of them, but they still just couldn't come up clutch enough. Um, we beat them 41 to 38. If you remember, that is the Jonathan Garibay 62 yard bomb field goal to win it. And so uh, watching the highlights of that game was a lot of fun too, because Donovan Smith had a really good game. Um, he showed out. Um, basically we were up on them like 20, 21 points most of the game. And they just kind of made a quick comeback towards the end to push it to a tie game and then make us kick the field goal. Uh, but he had a great game. I'll tell you the worst part of watching, doing some of my look back on last year's was watching Henry Columbia highlights in some of these games because it was just frustrating. Yeah. And then like, oh, Donovan Smith at Iowa State was great. Yeah, <laughs> it was refreshing. So, like I said, Brees Hall is gone. So, uh, Jareel Brock takes over there. Brock Purdy is gone. Hunter Decker is taking over there. They lost both of their massive tight ends that have been a really big X factor for them uh, being able to run the ball and just catch anything they want because they're just bigger than everybody. Um, And they do have a first-team all-receiver in Xavier Hutchinson. So a lot of turnover, but they're just hoping to be more consistent on that side of the ball, even with all that turnover and production gone. Like I said, defense was great last year, ninth overall in the country. Um, they have a little overhaul this year, though. A lot of guys gone. Um, but Will McDonald is a first-team defensive guy. He's their best pass rusher, yeah. and he's going to be a problem. So you still got a couple first-teamers on this team and a coach that's 
now that through the Big 12, like him and Gundy are like the top two coaches that have been around the longest. Like, yeah. I feel like he's in, I feel like he's been there more than six years in Matt Campbell. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he, he aged a lot in those first few years uh, and last year, but I feel like he's been there a long, long time. Um, so there's Iowa State. I think they're, they're going to stay similar to where they were last year, which I said was a disappointment, but it's on the page of us. Like, looking through a lot of these games, they're 50-50 games. Like, they're all winnable. They're also all losable. Right. Uh, and we'll talk about best and worst case in just a minute. But do you have anything else on Iowa State? No, I think there's a lot of interesting teams in the conference this year. I think it's pretty much up for grabs. <laughs> like, who's going to be in the championship game at the end of the season? It could be yeah. a handful of teams. I think Iowa State can be in that conversation because we've seen them be really good. We know Matt Campbell's a really good head coach, uh, and we know that they're just going to kind of plug and replace a lot of these guys, but it is hard to replace a guy like Brock Purdy who'd been there for so long. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of you know quarterback questions is never uh, something that you really want to have and a guy who doesn't really have experience at this level. So, yeah, they're a team that I definitely think if you're hot at the end of the season, if you're really coming on strong, there with some wins like this is a good opportunity to steal a game just because we don't really know what they're going to look like and who knows by the end of the season maybe right. iowa state's one of the best teams in the conference and and you just got to hope you go in there play a solid game but um but yeah and they're another one of the handful of teams that's very intriguing to me which leads to the last yeah. one on our schedule which is another very Oof. intriguing team in the big 12 this season it's the oklahoma sooners so we finish off our season in against in Norman on November 26th. Last year, the Oklahoma Sooners had a little bit of a dis disappointing season when you kind of take into what their expectations are. They went 11-2. and two. Yeah, uh, They missed out on the Big 12 title game, losing to both Baylor and Oklahoma State late in the season. Uh, they did beat Texas Tech last year, 52-21, to 21, handled us in that game. That's the game that Henry Columbia got knocked out of and inserted Donovan Smith into that starting quarterback role. So uh, ended up being a valuable game for Tech uh, in that kind of way. Of, I like that that twist. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> right. A little, uh, being a little positive, a little uh, uh, spin spin zone, right? Um, of course, Lincoln Riley bolted after the season was over for uh, California, heading to USC. So Enter Brent Venables, who was a longtime defensive coordinator under Bob Stoops at Oklahoma, had been the D.C. out at Clemson. He comes in as the head coach. Uh, and so some recent news, their longest tenured coach in Norman, Kel Gundy, just resigned for saying something that he, that. That he shouldn't have said. Um, apparently, if the stories are that he read uh, the N-word off a iPad multiple times uh, and so he is no longer coached there. So that has kind of shaken some things up for the Sooners right as camp got started, uh, right at the start of this week that happened. So uh, never good to lose a coach right as, as the season's getting started. But, of course, yeah. for them, um, they bring in former Ole Miss offensive coordinator Jeff Levy. He takes over the oh, OD yeah. role and duties for the Sooners. They lost their quarterbacks from last season. Caleb Williams transferred and followed Lincoln Riley to USC. Spencer Rattler went to South Carolina, which brings in UCF transfer Dylan Gabriel, 
who will be their starting yeah. quarterback who has experience at UCF, but you know, they had some good solid years there now looks to take on a power five quarterback led program. Their RBs as always will be good. They did lose their top rusher and Kennedy Brooks from last year, but they bring in Tennessee transfer Eric Gray, who looks to take over that role. And they also have another solid back in Marcus major who will be behind him. But as always, Oklahoma always has some pretty explosive running backs to take over that role. They return their top wide receiver in Marvin Mims, who's been their leading receiver for the last two years. Uh, and then also their number two receiver, Theo Weiss is back from injury. Uh, so once again, they'll probably have a pretty deep receiving core. Uh, a bunch of playmakers with explosive capabilities on the outside there. Uh, Off-season off for a typically dominant offensive line for the Sooners last year. They kind of struggled in that front. They kind of struggled to keep the quarterback protected, give them time to throw the ball, uh, also help create a stable running game for them. So that's something they're looking to work on this season. Uh, defensively, of course, they've got Venables, who is a defensive-minded head coach, but they also got... Uh, defensive coordinator Ted Roof taking over for that role. Uh, he does get gifted the more experienced side of the ball returning to the Sooners. They do return a lot more on the defensive end that they do on their offensive end. Uh, their linebacking core should be the strength of their defense this season. That's where they have their you know most uh, experience returning. Um, but they did have to turn to the transfer portal to try to fill in some of the gaps in that secondary uh, give them some playmakers back there, try to force some more turnovers. So for the Sooners this year, there's a lot of questions on how Brent Venables will do in year one. Um, they're used to success there. They're used to high explosive offenses. So can uh, Jeff Lebby keep that offensive tradition there going with a new transfer in Dylan Gabriel running the offense? Can their defense also step up? Of course, that's always been a problem for the Sooners. They always have a really good offense, but their defense kind of lets them down. Uh, is their defense going to be able to step up, limit the passing game, and come up with more of a consistent pass rush for them? That was something where they struggled at last year as well. So, you know, their sights are set on bouncing back, having a shot at winning the Big 12 championship what could be their last go at a big 12 championship. You know, all of that remains unseen, but uh, they definitely expect to be there in that conversation as they always do. They have, uh, you know, some tough road games this year or no, they, their toughest games are in Norman this year. Uh, that, you know, doesn't include Texas. It's Oklahoma state and Baylor travel to Norman for, so that should help them having that kind of favorable home schedule with, you know, two teams that are expecting to compete for the Big 12 championship playing there. So, Dustin, anything on Oklahoma that you want to point out? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the coaching change goes. I mean, they had an easy shift in coaching change a handful of years ago from Bob yeah. Stoops to Lincoln Riley because he was already there, OC. They pretty much just kept the ball moving. Can't this agree. is kind of a 180-ish type of turn with, you know, going a different – style of head coach and we know Venables has been really good at Clemson, but now he's got to run his own program. And also they just had a ton of turnover from that coaching change and Lincoln Riley stole a lot of players. However you want to say it, they transferred to USC, whatever, yeah. <laughs> but hey, that's part of the game now. Yeah. Um, so even though they still have a really high uh, talent pool and recruiting class, a lot of turnover, there is definitely going to play a factor in 
probably early on, maybe not late when we get to catch them. Um, so they'll probably have a lot, lot figured out by then. Um, I just don't see this year being that good for them yet. I can see them slipping just because of all the changes going on. I mean, not in a bad way, but like nine and three is not what Oklahoma expects, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think that's a more reasonable outcome for this year rather than the 10 and two, 11 and one that we were kind of seeing with Lincoln Riley, you know? So I just see them coming down a notch or two, um, whether that be Oklahoma state kind of beats them out or any of these other handful of teams that we've kind of mentioned, even Texas is probably going to be better if they went through their change yeah. last year. So be really interesting to see how it shakes out in Norman this year. Yeah, and like we mentioned when we were talking about Iowa State, there's really not a team that just screams dominance to you in this conference. And so I think for Oklahoma early on, they do travel to Nebraska to take on the Cornhuskers there. Last year it was a close game in in Norman. If that's a game that's a really close one and one they end up dropping, then yeah, I definitely think that they're going to be one of those teams that it's going to be a 9-3 and three type season for them. Uh, they might might miss all on back-to-back conference championship games, which is something just a few years ago you never thought was going to happen. So, right. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of teams in the Big 12 that I think are set up for success this year, and so you know, slipping up in some tough road games, I, I think, is definitely something you have to watch for with Oklahoma this season. And uh, we don't know what Dylan Gabriel is going to look like running that offense yet. So sure. there's a lot of question marks for this team, which typically yep. doesn't have a lot of that. So uh, that definitely makes this whole Big 12 season pretty interesting for me. Uh, Dustin, we head into part we don't like to talk about here. Worst case scenario, uh, we just ran through the last six games. Our worst case scenario for the first half was a one and five start with that a pretty heavy gauntlet that we have at the start of the season with, you know, five teams all back to back that have pretty high aspirations for the season. So continuing that from that one and five, what, where are your worst case scenarios for the end of this season? I was kind of torn between two and four and three and three. Um, now I kind of look at it a little more. I I'm, I'm tending to lean towards three and three. I think is a more realistic worst case scenario. Obviously two and four can still happen. Right. Um, but obviously you shouldn't drop Kansas. You'll probably drop Oklahoma, probably Baylor, maybe, maybe not, but then you still have three winnable games on that other side of those three teams I talked about. So hopefully by the second half of the season, especially after that bye week, um, midweek, mid season, right before West Virginia, you can figure some things out, fix some things, whatever it may be. Um, so I'll go three and three. I've got us winning three games as the worst case scenario here. Um, I like beating West Virginia and Kansas, but uh, some of those other games seem really difficult to pull off. Uh, you know, Baylor, if they're having a really solid year, a TCU on the road, even though it might be more of a home game. I, I just, it's hard to have a lot of confidence right now against CCU, especially when my last sure. memory of it is them just running all over us and us leaving yeah, by the definitely. end of the first quarter. <laughs> um, and so, and then two tough road games at Iowa state and Oklahoma to end it. So really like maybe three, but I mean, four wouldn't, you know, four would, 
be possible as well. But yeah, that that that's just kind of my worst case is three, four wins and you know, not a lot of improvement seen and kind of cooling on all of that preseason hype in year one. But we don't want to be too down on this team, right? Where these are worst case scenarios yeah. that we, you know, could potentially happen. Uh, but let's get under the best case scenario. Last last week we had us starting off the season maybe four and two as a best case scenario. So Dustin kind of continued that. And what do you've got for the second half? I still think best case is four and two. Um, I agree. Just to elaborate on what I was talking about on the worst case stuff, like Oklahoma is going to be a very very tough game. Baylor's going to be a very very tough game. Don't have an advantage there. Kansas should be a win game. Your other three, West Virginia, TCU, and Iowa State, I see are, are toss-up games. Yeah. We're four teams that are, I think, equally talent-wise, and coaching staffs are here and there. Um, but you beat some of these teams. You got your butt kicked by some of these teams, um, even though TCU had a worse record than you last right. year. So it's like watching some of the highlights and stuff, and I'm like, God, oh, we had Columbia and – we still won six games and we had half of Matt Wells and still won six games. And like Texas and TCU only won five last year. It's like, that gives me promise and hope um, in his coaching staff, being able to coach better. Um, And I still like our talent from a lot of that from last year to grow into better team and better players, even though we have no first team preseason guys. So I could see us winning, you know, three out of those four of, Baylor, West Virginia, TCU, Iowa State, yeah, um, and let Kansas and Oklahoma go the way they probably should go. Um, so three out of four there, I'd be very happy. Um, that would total us, if best case on both ends, would be an eight and four type of season. Yeah, which would be fantastic because we haven't had an eight win season in a very long time, uh, especially like in the regular season. Yeah. So I I had four and two down the stretch as well as my best yeah. case scenario. Um, either, you know, protecting the Jones and winning those three games at home and finding a way to win one of those three games on the road at TCU, Iowa State, or Oklahoma. I think that's definitely possible. Uh, or, you know, if you do lose the, to Baylor, like splitting TCU and Iowa State on the road will, right. would help with that uh, as well. So I think there is a definite chance of that. I definitely lean more towards our best-case scenario happening happening then I lean towards a worst case scenario happening um yeah I can see the four and two better than the yeah. two and four yeah like even just thinking well, about like said, that worst case scenario just kind of made so 50 50 games don't go our way and we lose all three of yeah. those then you're gonna end up in that but I totally expect McGuire to make the right coaching decisions not to have some of the several blunders that Wells had that cost him yeah and cost us several games so I'm expecting that as an upgrade counting like giving us two more games just on that alone. (laughs) Um, And and so I definitely definitely think eight and four is a realistic possibility for this. So that's my, so that's what we both have as our best case scenario, kind of looking in the first year, Joe McGuire, if he was able to pull off eight and four, uh, that would be some legendary stuff. And then that gets your hopes built up as you got a solid recruiting class being built for 2023. And then, yeah, that just yeah. kind of changes your whole expectations and outlook on Texas tech football as a program. So uh, that's our concludes our, you know, season breakdown on uh, our opponents, our schedule going through each of them. 
Uh, we still have a couple weeks before the football season kicks off. Uh, so we will not be giving out our, you know, final season predictions and all that stuff just yet. We'll be doing that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, kind of wait until we know who's going to be starting at quarterback. Some of those other questions that are out there, uh, we'll get back on the pod and kind of break all of that out. So if you missed it, a little over, I think it was Monday or was it, it was Sunday, Sunday or Monday. I can't remember at this point. Uh, it's all kind of a blur. Tweeted out something about Tim Tadlock and the baseball program. Guy's name, Butch Bacala. Bacala. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but Butch. Call him Butch for this sakes. Tweeted out, not in the world of hurting people, but what has happened at Texas Tech University cutting six kids on August 2nd and a freshman in the school's weight room. Just not cool. Tim Tadlock, head coach at TT, obviously all about winning because he obviously doesn't care about people at D1 Baseball. So this, of course, sparked a a rage in Texas Tech fan base on Twitter as usual. And uh, we always want to defend our own, and it's one of the things I love about Texas Tech Twitter is that we're always out here ready to defend the coaches, the players, the university, and all stuff like that. But ultimately, to me, this seemed like something that should blow over and just kind of disappear. Didn't really mean anything. He's a nobody. None of us have ever heard of this guy. Like most tech Twitter things, the thing I kind of dislike about tech Twitter is that it just didn't go away. We got to keep responding to this guy, keep giving him the time of day, let him have his time in the sun. It should have only been 15 minutes. It ends up being a couple days worth of time now to where all tech fans know who this guy is. But he made a, to me, he made a foolish statement. This is really stupid. Uh, and he even tried to walk it back, I think, saying this is more of an NCAA issue than it is like at Texas Tech. Uh, my problem with the original tweet is that if that was his point, then why do you single out a coach okay. and a program uh, if this is an NCAA issue? Uh, my other thing on this is this is college sports, dude. Sure. Like you worked in the minor or you worked for a major league baseball team. Like sports is cutthroat, dude. If a player's not cut up to make it for a team, He's not going to make it. It's the coach's job to put together a winning program and compete for uh, national championships. And that's what Tim Tadlock is paid to do. And if a player presents a better opportunity for you to win over another player, like sometimes that happens, that's sports. It happens in high school. It happens in college. If you're not built for that, don't fucking play college sports, dude. Go play a recreational league. Uh, where everybody gets to play and everybody gets a chance like that. That's what kind of pisses me off about this is this is nothing new. This has been happening at every competitive program throughout the country in every single sport. This isn't anything that's Texas Tech and Tim Tadlock specific. The other thing that has been already reported on is that none of this actually happened. So the other part is he's making false claims. So if you're going to come at a coach and make claims you better make sure they're valid (laughs) before you do that so he just went about this the whole wrong way calling out texas tech coach that's a mess up in the first place but having incorrect facts is going to get you messed up and then also tweeting at yourself thinking that you're tweeting from another account uh that also exposes you as well so it was just kind of a clusterfuck of a situation from this guy uh riling up tech fans which i understand but you know to me this was really nothing more than just kind of a stupid tweet. So 
now that I got all my rambling out of the way, I know you're kind of not caught up on this whole situation. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just kind of barely came across. I went on my phone a ton this weekend and when I did have time, I saw this and I was like, this is just going dumb. And then, yeah, it was kind of verified that none of that happened how he said it happened. Um, it didn't happen in the weight room. Yeah. Um, Sure, there probably were guys that got cut. That's probably this time of year for baseball. Like, probably happening a lot yeah. here and across the country. Um, I mean, there's still three weeks before classes start. Baseball doesn't even start for a long time. So, yeah, they're making moves late, especially with how the – kind of maybe to his point, with how baseball schedule is set up, you know, you're going into June or further into June just playing – the draft was less than a month ago. So you're into yeah. over halfway to July and guys are getting drafted. High school kids are getting drafted and have an opportunity to go take that and make money or come to your school. So they're still making decisions there up until like last week. So you're still filling out your roster. Nothing is that set. So like, and that's been that way for a while. Like it's not anything new well, there. It's not anything new. The draft is much later. It's a little now, later, so that's, yeah. That's not helping. That uh, it it used to be during the before the College World Series even happened. So you could already be talking about where these players were drafted. But the the new thing that you know hasn't been around for a whole lot is the the transfer yeah. portal, which is changing things as well. Which is maybe creating less opportunities for players at some of these programs. As all of a sudden, a guy from Texas is in the transfer portal, and you're like, "Well, I probably would rather take the guy from Texas over maybe a young high school kid who I'm not really sure." And just think about it this way too: like we're a top, let's say, top twenty program, yes. definitely. Okay, so we're updating just as much as all these other top 20, 25 programs. That's just a waterfall trickle yeah. down effect. Now the next 25 teams are trying to get the guys you're yeah. cutting and leaving. And then it just keeps going down and down and down and down a level of, you know, 15, 20, 30 teams as it goes. Cause yeah, if a kid leaves Vanderbilt, we're Tadlock's going to try to talk to him. Kid leaves Arkansas for a good reason. And we want him. We're going to go. All right. Him. Like same, like, and same with kids leaving us. They're going to check them out. We got a kid from Oregon State. We got a kid from Ole Miss. We've like, we got a kid from Texas. Like, we're going to hit these transfers. And hey, that's just how it is. That's college sports. You got to try to keep up. And that's really what sports is. If you're not cut out at, at it for this level, there's no hope for you in making it to professional sports where it's way more cutthroat. I think like the other thing that kind of bothers me about it is, you know, he's all about the players and all this stuff, but. At the same time, it's like the players commit to a school and then they transfer out as soon as like one thing goes wrong too. Yeah. So it's just the big, you know, the the portal NIL has really changed the landscape of college sports. But at the end of the day, these coaches are trying to get the best players on their team to try to win games. And so sometimes that's going to mean a player is going to have to go find another school to play at. But it's been like that for a while. For sure. You know, if you really want to support the players and start pushing for them to get salaries and signing contracts and stuff like that. And actually, but I thought it was an interesting tweet and I think it definitely was something that got everybody upset because we all know Tim Tadlock is uh, really respected, uh, not just here in Lubbock, but across the sport. And so to have somebody kind of bashing him who nobody's really familiar with, uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad tech fans cape up every time this stuff happens, but it, 
it, it kind of bothered me that this is still going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he wasn't a guy who deserved that much time and, and, and limelight, but we gave it to him and he's still out here tweeting and showing off the uh, interactions and stuff like that that he gained over uh, that tweet. So cool for yeah. cool for Butch, I guess, <laughs> uh, to finally get some notability. But uh, that's kind of everything we got for y'all this week. Dustin, do you have yourself a final shot for the tailgate this week? Yeah, I got us a final shot called Red Raiders in the NFL. Give you guys a little update on what our guys are doing up in the league. A um, couple bad news things to start with. Jonathan Garibay was waived by the Cowboys today. Um, they brought in another yep. former veteran Cowboys kicker. Uh, they're trying to get that position solidified. And Garibay wasn't consistent enough for him, I guess. But kickers, especially younger guys, not experienced, get bounced around quite frequently in the NFL. Um, so it doesn't mean he's done um, completely. Yeah. Um, Jakeem Grant was for the Browns who was injured and carted off the field today. So that's sad to see. Um, especially for him, he's we know how electric he can be. He got traded from Miami to the Bears last year. And then still made a Pro Bowl, and now he gets hurt for a talented Cleveland Browns team where he was probably going to be a return man and try to make the team that way. So that kind of hurts. Um, good news, though, TJ Vasher with the Dallas Cowboys. He got drafted by them last year, picked up by them free agent last year. Um, he's got a good chance to make this team, I think, because of their – Lack of depth, that receiver. Um, they got rid of a couple guys. They went on free agency trades. They've had a couple guys get hurt already. Michael Gallup still coming off ACL. Right now he's listed as a four-string wide receiver, but there's a few guys ahead of him that are listed on the original depth chart that are not going to be playing uh, maybe like the first half of the season. So he's got a good chance um, this preseason to make the squad. So Good for TJ Vash, and I hope he can capitalize on that. Yeah, that'd be really cool for him to get a shot at making a roster. We've all seen the incredible catches that he can make. He had a couple pretty sick ones uh, in training camp that kind of went around yeah. on Twitter. So uh, hopefully it is good. And, yeah, you know, bummer for Jakeem. He tore his Achilles. Uh, that's what, the, what came out later. Mm. So uh, that means his season will be done. But he did sign a three-year contract yep. with the Browns. Uh, so he, you know, it's, it's not career altering for him just yet. You know, he's still kind of financially secure with that deal and, uh, we wish him nothing but the best in that recovery. And hopefully he comes yeah. back, you know, better and stronger, uh, than he was before, uh, and has another chance with the Browns to make something happen. But, uh, for me, it'll be a player in baseball who is looking to make his return. That's Josh Young. Um, he is been promoted to triple uh, a ball. He'll be playing there, uh, you know, hurt his shoulder right at the beginning of the season, uh, been out, but already moving up pretty quickly now that he's back in action. So, uh, hopefully for Josh, this, uh, continued health, uh, put some good plate appearances together, have a really solid game. And who knows by the end of the season, we could be seeing Josh young, uh, in that Texas Rangers uniform at Globe Life uh, Park or and playing in the majors. So wishing for him uh, nothing but the best, that he continues to do his thing. We all know what he's capable of doing and can't wait to see that major league debut for him, uh, hopefully coming around the corner. But that'll do it 
for us this week and tailgate talks catch us next week when we'll be diving a little more in depth into our own football team we've done a lot of talking about the other teams that we're going to be facing this season but we've got to get to know our football team so we'll look to do that over the next few weeks as football season rapidly approaches us we hope that you are also joining us in our 30 pack countdown uh, to kick off today was beer number six for us on that 30 pack countdown uh, hopefully you've joined us hopefully you've got your 30 pack and hopefully you are drinking those uh, knocking those beers out as we wait for that last beer to drink at our first tailgate this season uh, if you are one of those people who can't drink just one beer we'll buy some side beers for that you know countdown have some side beers to go along with your countdown beers uh, but that's it. That's all we got for you guys this week. Uh, hope y'all have a solid weekend. And uh, as always, make sure you are following us. Follow us on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Rate us on Apple and Spotify. And also hit us with that review if you listen to us on Apple. All of that is greatly appreciated and greatly helps us out. Uh, also, follow our social media accounts. Follow us on Twitter at tailgate underscore talks. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And lastly, follow our YouTube channel to catch short clips from each week's episodes. Subscribe to that channel to be alerted anytime we post a video. And with all of that said, we will catch y'all at the next tailgate. Peace.